You know, one of our commitments here at Bayleaf Baptist Church is to help all of us see the full reach of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is not meant to be first in our lives only on Sunday. He surely is to be first in our lives on this day. But he is also meant to be first in our lives of every and every day and every moment of every day that we lived. Now, we've discussed in our time in the book of Colossians the proper place of Jesus Christ, of his authority as our Lord and our Savior, and how that should affect the way that we relate to one another as it pertains to the people of God. But as we move through our study in the book of Colossians today, Paul is asking us to consider how the lordship of Christ reaches beyond just this gathering, reaches beyond just these relationships into every relationship that we have as human beings. How does, for instance, the lordship of Christ show up in our homes? How does the Lordship of Christ show up at our jobs? How does the authority of Jesus show up in the places that we spend the majority of our time living in? Because listen, friends, all of us know that anybody can fake anything for an hour. Right? As a son of a family that grew up in the church, I can testify that you can learn the language And you can learn the behavior to fake it till you make it in the church. And that's not what we're about. We don't want a people who are simply faking a submission to the Lordship of Christ. We want people who love the Lord Jesus. And that love pervades the whole of their life. Listen, a few weeks ago, uh, I was able to attend the golf tournament that we have to raise money for missions here at our church. And when I showed up, I looked like a golfer. I had a golf shirt on, I had golf pants on, I had golf shoes, I I didn't have my clubs because they were somewhere in our garage at the time behind hundreds of boxes, but a friend of mine even let me borrow some really nice golf clubs. And I can talk the language of golf. I like watching golf. I, I know the PGA, I know some players. And if you were just looking at me In the beginnings of our gathering, you would think I'm probably a pretty good golfer until the moment you see me swing a club and you see me try to make contact with the ball. Then everything that I had been particularly, uh, I guess, giving the image of or maybe the assumptions that you made about me would be proven wrong because I'm not a great golfer, even though I love golf. And listen, some of us approach our role in the church in that way. Some of us approach our following Christ in that way. We put on the right clothes. We have the right language. We even have the right tools. But does the lordship of Christ show up in the game? When we swing the club of life, do we see Jesus at work in our lives? Because, friends, if the lordship of Jesus does not show up in the places that we live 95% of our life, the question has to be asked, who or what are we actually living for? So this morning, let's consider how the Lordship of Jesus should affect our everyday lives. Let's consider how the Lordship of Christ speaks into every role that we have been given as human beings by our Creator, God. Christ's authority in our life 
must affect the way that we respond to every authority. And the relationship we have with Jesus must affect every relationship we have. Now, I want to prepare you this morning as we step into this passage. There are some misunderstood, potentially misunderstood elements that we're going to have to address. And we will. Some because of our current culture and the wisdom of the world that they have embraced. Some because of the pervasive brokenness of this world. And our need to see how far the reach of the gospel actually extends. But in addressing those things, I don't want any of us to miss the main purpose of this passage. And that is the lordship of Jesus. How when we devote ourselves to him, it should affect everything that we do. It should affect every part of who we are. Our relationship with him affects every other relationship. Now let's see how Paul challenges us in this in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18 and moving on to chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. Building, again from last week, chapter 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then here's what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master who is in heaven. Now again, in this section of scripture, Paul is addressing the major household relationships of his day. As he seeks to show the full reach of the authority of Jesus Christ. This is a common practice in this time. Both Jewish writers and pagan writers would offer household codes to help undergird the linchpin of society, which is the home. But Paul does this in a language that is unique under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, defining, redefining each role in the house and the course of everyday life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in many ways, reclaiming these roles, reclaiming these relationships for the glory of God. He addresses wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants, and masters to show them how their relationship with Jesus must affect their other relationships, how they submit to authority, how they submit to one another. And moreover, how they handle these relationships is meant to be a picture, a gospel-advancing evangelistic picture of our relationship to Jesus Christ. 
So let's follow Paul's order here and address all these categories this morning of the home that Paul speaks to of everyday life in order to see the reach of Christ. Now, let me just give a a word of encouragement here, a pastoral encouragement to all of us in the room. You may feel tempted to check out when we get to a category that you're not in. And I want to encourage you this morning not to check out because we are a community. And there's mutual interest here in how we can encourage our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Don't miss an opportunity to know how you can encourage the husbands and wives around you, even if you are not yet a husband or wife. Don't miss an opportunity to learn how you can encourage parents, even if you are not yet a parent. And don't miss the opportunity to consider how you can encourage employees and employers, even if you don't have a job or you're not currently in a position over those in jobs situations underneath you. This is an important moment for us to think about corporately how we can grow together, even if every particular category we walk through doesn't apply to all those in the room. So listen with corporate responsibility in mind. Okay, now let's begin where Paul begins with the wives. Wives, you are called in verse 18 to submit to your husbands. Now clearly Paul begins with the easy stuff. (laughs) Now, before we dive fully in, to the ramifications of what Paul has written here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I want to clarify some things as a church, some some biblical convictions that we hold to based on the word of God. We are a church that holds to complementarianism. And that's a big theological word that you can use at your next dinner party to impress all of your friends. And essentially, here's what complementarianism means. It's a biblical belief that God has created men and women equal in value as image bearers, but with different roles within that equal status. We are created as image bearers and we have equal value before the Lord, but also as part of God's design, we have different roles, different responsibilities, and that specifically plays itself out in the home, men. You are called, if you have a home and you have a family and you have a wife, you are called to be the spiritual leader of that home. And we believe that if God designed it that way, and he did, that because he designed it that way, we all flourish when we live in light of it. And you can see that in the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You can see the importance of embracing that spiritual authority in a godly way and what happens when we abandon it. Now, but Jared, how do you explain these moments in the New Testament where it says that these former dividing things have been removed? Places where they say where the Bible says there's no longer male or female. Have some of these roles been redeveloped in light of the new covenant. Places like Colossians 3.11 or Galatians 3.28. Are there distinctions that are being removed in the kingdom of God? Well, yes and no. There is a new humanity that is being created in Christ where all are equal in his kingdom and all have equal access to God and a responsibility to advance his kingdom. 
But the creation of this new humanity does not remove divinely established roles. It does not remove the qualities that are given to us by God's design in his good creation as men and women. In fact, before the fall, even when these roles and responsibilities were given in creation, God called them good. What happens now on the other side of the gospel is that we're able to embrace these roles in a way that promotes our mutual good and gives glory to God. Now, there's, there are some distinctions. There are some ways that we interact with one another that are bad, that are the consequence of the fall. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But the marriage-wife relationship, the husband-wife relationship in marriage, the, the roles that we have been given as men and women is not one of those things that is bad. It can become bad. We can make it bad. But as a function of God's design, it is good. So as a church... We want all men and women to flourish in the kingdom of God. We want all men and women to flourish in the church. And we believe that happens best when we align with God's design. In fact, if we don't align with God's design, no one will flourish. That's how brokenness came about in the first place. So let's return now to the responsibility of wives. Paul says... Wives, you are to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that word submit obviously creates a lot of chatter among Christians and outside of the church. One of those potentially misunderstood words that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Now the word here indicates a woman voluntarily putting herself under the loving authority or direction of her husband in a way that reflects her ultimate submission to Christ. Now again, there's no indication of inferiority here, but rather a willing submission because of God's design and because of the example of Christ. Now let me give you a couple of clarifiers here from our text. Firstly, The wife's responsibility to submit is different than the responsibility given to that of the bondservant or the child. Paul calls the child and the bondservant to obey. He calls the wife to submit, which places the wife's position in a different category of responsibility. Women who step into marriage and become wives, you are called when stepping into that marriage to submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. That does not mean all men, it means your husband. And it does have an effect on the household of God and how we orchestrate leadership within the church. But your primary responsibility is to your husband as your spiritual leader. And it's something that you agree to before the Lord when you step into a covenant marriage. But Paul also brings another caveat here that's of the utmost importance and that would not have been included in other household codes in Jewish life or in pagan life. He says that you submit as is fitting to the Lord. There is no conception here of submission as it relates to what Paul's writing. There's no conception of submission that is not tied to the husband walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. If, if your husband begins to ask you to do things that 
are contrary to your convictions in God and contrary to what God has said, we've entered into a different category. The the assumption is, the hope is, the ideal is that you are submitting to a husband who is himself submitting to Christ and leading you into greater submission of Jesus. Now, we have to deal all the time with the brokenness of that ideal, that it doesn't reach that ideal, and we want to help you in that. But just know that the submission piece is tied. The expectation is that you will have a husband who is seeking the Lord alongside you. Now, I want to gently challenge here, pastorally challenge the conception that God's design and how he has designed the relationship of men and women here, evidenced in Scripture, is not good. Because you know there are people who would say, that this is not good, that women should be expected, that wives should be expected to submit to their husbands. Now listen, we all know that men can abuse authority and the design that God established, and we will address that. But wives, I wanna challenge you to think about Jesus and the church when you consider your call to submit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter five, which is the complimentary passage to the one we're reading here in the book of Colossians. In verse 24 of Ephesians five, he says, wives, you picture the church's submission to Jesus and your submission to your godly husband. Think about that. Every time you function within the role and design of God, you present an evangelistic opportunity for people to consider in your submission how the church submits to the godly authority given in Christ. Moreover, you picture Christ himself who willingly submitted to the will of the Father. Do you remember in those moments before Jesus went to the cross and he's praying to the Lord, he says, I want this cup to pass from me. But then what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. I want you to think about that. In that moment, we have an equal person of the Trinity, the Son, willingly submitting to the will of the Father. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus did that, did that in any way dehumanize him, that in any way make him inferior to the Father? It did not. In fact, to say so would cause us to enter into heresy. So imagine this. When you submit to your husband, when you embrace that loving authority, you are also providing a picture of the sacrifice and the submission of Jesus who in that submission guaranteed our salvation. If it wasn't beyond Christ, it should not be beyond us. Now listen, submission may look different in different places because of different cultures and expectations. The question is, are you willingly embracing God's call and design in your home, submitting to Christ and submitting to your husband for a picture for the advancement of the gospel? Now to the husbands, you're not off the hook. God has called you to love your wives and to not be harsh with them in verse 19. And this is a pretty incredible statement at this moment in history. As Paul tells husbands, 
Your wives are not your property. They are not less in the kingdom of God. They don't exist simply to fulfill your every whim or your desire. They are fellow image bearers of Jesus, of God, and they are co-heirs with Christ. And they deserve you to love them as Christ loved the church, Ephesians 5.25, and gave his life for her. I want you to think about that responsibility, husbands, and I want you to feel the weight of what we have committed ourselves to and stepping into covenant marriage. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You are to love her sacrificially and you are to love her fully. You are to give yourself for her. Now here's what I found. Submission is always easier when a husband is loving his wife well. Men, when you put the needs of your wife and the needs of your family above yourself and you paint a picture of Jesus, it is easy to follow. When your family knows that everything you do is for their spiritual good and for the glory of God, that is easy to follow to someone who has already submitted to Jesus. Now, let me make some statements. Firstly, men, authority. Authority is not something to be abused. And it is not something to be abandoned. We need to embrace the role God has given us in a godly way. We need to handle it with care because the way that you lead your home, the way that you lead your wife is a testimony to how Christ leads his home, his people, his bride. You are to love your wife, men, in a way that leads her to love Christ more. At this church, we will not abide the abuse of that authority. We will not abide abuse of any kind. And we wanna encourage men to not abandon the role God has given. Rather, we will seek to encourage our men, husbands, future husbands, leaders in this church to be men who look like and live like they are first submitted to Christ and who steward the authority entrusted to them for the good of their wives, the good of their family, and the glory of God. Are you men loving your wife well? Are you loving your wife in a way that leads her and leads others to love Jesus more? Because that's what you're called to be. That's what you're called to do. Children, you're up next. Everybody ready? You are called to obey your parents, verse 20. And all the parents said, amen. Amen. (laughs) And your obedience to your obedient parents, and specifically fathers, is pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that incredible? Kids, I want you to hear that. When you obey your obedient parents who are seeking the Lord and trying to help you seek the Lord, that is pleasing to God. He entrusted you to their care. Isn't that good? There's one commandment in the Ten Commandments that promises long life. Do you know which one that is? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days 
may be long. Obeying your parents is a good thing and it can extend your life. For instance, we know that it's not good to play in the street because there are cars coming. (laughs) But there seems to be some sort of blessing, unique blessing attached to obedience and honoring your parents. Your parents have lived life. Your parents want and recognize our responsibility to help you know and live under the rule and reign of Jesus. We're not perfect. There's not a parent in this room who would claim to be, but hopefully we want to parent you in a way that you can trust that everything we do is for your good and for God's glory. Here's my challenge to you kids, students, anyone living still in your parents' home, so long as what we ask is not contrary to what God has said, walk in joy-filled obedience. It's possible. Not just any obedience, not snorting and stomping away when your parents ask you to do something. Joy-filled obedience because you recognize the gift of godly parents. Now, fathers, you're next. Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger. He says, do not discourage them, but rather build them up in verse 21. When your children mess up, and they will, just like you're going to mess up, we are called not to react, but rather act with purpose, to shape them and mold them for the glory of God. Let me address a couple of things here. Firstly, I am thankful for godly mothers I have a godly mother. My kids have a godly mother. I've been surrounded by godly spiritual mothers and I'm the fruits of many godly women pouring their lives into my life. And we give thanks to you. But we also recognize there is a unique responsibility, a unique authority given to fathers to discipline and lead in their homes. And fathers... You are to guide and discipline your children. We are in a way that is reflective of how our God guides and disciplines us as our heavenly father. As his children, God never acts in vengeance. He acts for our good. I want to challenge you this morning, dads. Don't be the kind of father your kids have to get over to embrace their heavenly father. I spent a lot of time in counseling over the years and have heard too many testimonies to know the damage that can be done in a dysfunctional child-father relationship. God gave us fathers as a gift to help us understand how he wants to love us as a heavenly father. And too many of us have failed in that. Now, praise God, God can redeem those failures and he can restore those relationships that are broken. He can even overcome abandonment. But I don't want to be something that my kids got to get past to get to his God. And I would just encourage you guys, fathers, embrace that responsibility. Love your kids in a way that stirs their love for their heavenly father, for the glory of God. Next, bond servants. You are to obey your earthly masters in verses 22 to 25. You are to work as unto the Lord. You are to work with your whole heart because God desired you to work and you should honor the earthly authority that God has established over you. Moreover, you will give an account 
to how you work and how you honor earthly authorities. Now, it's pretty clear here we're stepping into even more difficult water as we deal with the realities of this day, bond servants, slavery. And it may be hard for us to understand the inclusion of slavery at this point. Why is Paul treating slavery in this way and why is he not contending for its immediate end? Now, I'm going to address these questions as much as I can in this setting because I feel that I need to. But I also, again, don't want us to miss the forest for the trees of what this passage is calling us to think about, which is the extent and the spread of the lordship of Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. Now, let me say, Paul does not condone slavery in this passage. In fact, In many ways, he is laying the groundwork for its end, especially when you read this in connection to the book of Philemon, which Pastor Stephen preached about and is a companion piece to this particular epistle and probably tells us why Paul is thinking so much about it and why he gave so many verses in this section of the book to dealing with this particular issue in the church. It's interesting that Paul even addresses bondservants because in doing so, he's giving them equal status in the church as a part of the congregation. And addressing them reinforces the idea that they are not property but made in the image of God and are co-heirs with Christ. Paul is simply speaking to the reality of the day. And the reality of the day was they were bondservants in households. And if you're going to deal with the relational dynamics of how to engage within a household, you have to address the reality, even if we believe and think that the gospel should lead to the overcoming of that broken reality. This is one of those moments where what's happening here is not part of God's design. It's a brokenness in the world a perversion of God's design that will ultimately be overcome as the work of the gospel and the kingdom of God is established. It's also likely that Paul and the early church are still wrestling with and thinking about under God's direction of the full extent of the reach of the gospel that, as we have seen in the course of history, has led to the declaration that all men are created equal, all men are equal image bearers, and no person should be able to own another person ever. So yes, we, we need to grieve and lament the history of slavery. We need to be aware that slavery is more rampant today than at any point point in the history of the world. It's not over yet. So long as there are broken people in this world, we will seek to oppress other people for our own glory. And we should work as the church to declare the value and worth of every individual that God created and Christ died for. So I want to say that blanketly, convictionally about who we are as a people and what we believe about this institution. But Paul still had to address it, and so he does, because it was a reality within the church. And there needed to be some clarifiers given about the relationship between bondservants and masters. And so he writes. Now, what I want to do today is try to translate that into our current reality. That was an economic reality of that day. We have different economic realities today. So how does that power dynamic, how does that relationship 
function today? How can we apply some of these principles that are important for us into our lives? And I think the the clearest translation is to the employee-employer relationship, to our job responsibilities. So what is Paul teaching about our working relationships and how they should be in submission to the lordship of Christ? Employees, you again were created to work. Work is a good thing. Work is pre-fall. Part of God's design. And you are called to work as unto the Lord. You are called to work in a way that says you are working for Christ and not for man. Here's my question. Employees, do you work as your, at your job as unto the Lord? Do you see your job as working first unto Christ? Are you honoring the authority that God has placed in your life at that job so much as you can? Or do you wake up every morning dreading going to work and embittered? Do you go to work complaining all the time? Do you show up late? And do you waste your company's funds and finances and and trust given to you by spending your time on social media, browsing the internet or watching Netflix? The Bible says you're going to give an account for how you steward that responsibility entrusted to you. Let's be good stewards of that testimony. I can't tell you how many times I have heard how a Christian worker has transformed the culture of a, of a business, how they've been light and darkness. I remember when I was at seminary in New Orleans, the UPS store down there and the UPS department could not wait to hire seminary students because they worked hard and they worked well. And I thought, what a testimony to a non-Christian business, a secular business of what can take place when the Lord Jesus gets a hold of our hearts. Do you work in that kind of way where your boss is, is wanting more Christian employees because of how hard you work and the testimony you give? Employers, Masters here, remember we're doing this translation. Chapter four, verse one. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master who is in heaven. So employers, this is a pretty progressive statement that Paul makes, even saying that masters, you have a responsibility to your bondservants as image bearers and co-heirs with Christ. And we need to recognize that the authority, the expression of any authority we have as a follower of Jesus is meant to point others to a greater authority and an authority that we all will give an account to one day, our King Jesus Christ. And so if you are an employer, let me ask you this question. Are you exercising your authority in a way that helps people embrace the authority of Christ? Or are you exercising your authority in a way that makes people want to cast off all authority and believe that any authority is a bad thing? Are you treating your employees justly and fairly? Are you paying them well? Or do you pocket everything for yourself? Do you care for them? Do you see them as people and not simply positions? Do you take advantage of them and prohibit them 
from living out the other God-given roles that God has given to them, like being a husband and being a father? Are you creating the kind of work environment that helps them be more faithful to Jesus? Or are you creating a, a work environment that's prohibiting them from being more faithful to Jesus? This stuff matters. It matters how we exercise this authority because it is a stewardship. It's not ours. It's his. And we want to make sure that we do it in a way that points people to Christ. And remember, all of us will give an account to that ultimate authority, right? It's mentioned here as both in in a direct address both to the bond servants and also to the masters. Whatever you do, this is verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord will will give you an inheritance as your reward, that you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are faithful to God's authority, that, that authority will be rewarded. So don't think about your work as just the paycheck you get. Think about the ultimate reward that Christ will give you in your faithfulness. But masters, you treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a, has a, master, have a master who is in heaven. You will give an account to how you steward that. And I think, honestly, what's true in these relationships is true in all of our relationships. We will give an account for how we embrace and function within all the roles and all the the places of authority that God has entrusted to us. Let's make sure that we consider the reach of Christ in every part of our lives. Let me just say as a testimony again, you may be thinking, Jared, I have really messed this up. I've not been a good husband. I've not been a good wife. I've not been a good parent. I've not been a good employee or an employer. Friends, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. There's redemption. And it's never too late to begin. It's never too late to start. Don't, don't sit under so much conviction today that you don't seek to try to step further into faithfulness. And let us come alongside you and help you because that would be our delight as the people of God. I just can't imagine what would happen if we as a people let the Lordship of Christ pervade every part of our lives. Can you imagine how God would use godly homes and godly working relationships to advance his gospel and to see the city of Raleigh transformed through our our corporate witness? Now, how can we respond to this this morning? Let's think about how we can let this play out in our lives lives as the people of God. Firstly, the first and most appropriate response, be in a relationship with Jesus. The reason there's brokenness is because of our sin fracturing, destroying our relationship with God. And that has led to a fracture and the destruction of relationships among mankind. The only way for us to be in right relationship with each other is to be in right relationship with God. It's it's our direct connection to him and our submission to him that leads us to be in right relationship and rightly submitting to one another, which happens out of reverence for Christ. That's where it's got to start, friends. You cannot be right with your brother or sister. You cannot be right in your marriage. You cannot be right at work unless you are first right with God, and that only happens in Christ. So this morning, repent and believe. Recognize your failure. Confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. And see 
the flourishing in your life that comes out of it as you walk in right relationship with God, our Father. Secondly, if you are in Christ, allow that relationship to influence every other relationship. Every day, friends, we need to wake up and we need to think, okay, how am I going to be a a father, a husband, an employee, an employer? How am I gonna be a follower of Jesus today in a way that shows the lordship of Christ in my life? How am I gonna be a mom today? How am I gonna be a wife today? How am I gonna go to, to work today in a way that evidences the lordship of Christ? Because I want the lordship of Jesus to show up in the other 95% of my life. Not just on Sunday morning, but every moment of every day. Are you seeking to do that? Are you seeking to fulfill every relationship as a testimony to the gospel for the glory of God? Thirdly, embrace God's biblical design. Part of the way that we can allow our relationship to Jesus affect every other relationship is to allow God to define the way that we relate to each other and to agree that what God has said is good. Can I ask you that question? Do you believe that what God has said is good? Do you believe that if God designed it, he should get to say how it works? And do you believe that if what God has said is good and that he designed something in a certain way, that we all will flourish better when we walk in alignment with that design? I hope we can testify yes to all those things and that we will not allow the world to define for us what God has said, but rather we would submit to what God has said and evidence for the world the blessing and the joy that comes from living within that design. Now, I do need to say this. If you in this moment are living in a relationship that has not embraced this design and is not honoring the authority that God has given in a right way. If you are in an abusive situation or you know someone who's in an abusive situation, we want to help you as well. Just a minute, we'll have our time of response up here. We'll have pastors, we'll have other godly women in our church who would love to receive you and pray with you and help you or pray with you about someone that you know. The altar will be open up here. Please come at the steps and just cry out to the Lord, we wanna come alongside you and help you because we know that human brokenness shows up in the abuse of these authorities. And as much as we wanna promote it, we also wanna protect those who are in positions that you feel trapped in. So let us walk alongside you. Please let us walk alongside you so we can help you come into a place where you can flourish before the Lord. And finally, ask God to use your godly relationships to advance the gospel. Do you believe that your marriage can help others see the gospel? I think the answer is yes, because Paul says so in Ephesians chapter five. Husbands, if you love your wives well, as Christ loved the church, and wives, if you submit to your husbands as the, the bride submits to Christ, You are painting a picture, it's a mystery, Paul says, of the gospel. 
And it's, a, it's amazing how a healthy, God-centered, Christ-exalting marriage can be an aroma for the things of God. To your kids, don't you believe your kids are going to be affected by the way that you treat each other and the way that you engage with one another? Don't you think they're going to, they're going to understand the gospel in greater ways or misunderstand the gospel depending on how they look at your marriage, how you treat each other? That's what the Bible, thing, I think, teaches that clearly. And other people who are in their marriages and they look at your marriage, they're going to be thinking about what do they have that I don't have? How are they able to communicate and function and forgive? Only for the gospel. Only for Christ. The way that you parent. The way that you deal with your kids on the ball field. That can have an effect on the advancement of the gospel because if you look just like every other parent cussing out umpires from the stands, what does that say about how much of a hold Christ has in your life? And certainly on the job, my goodness. A lot of us live in, and work in very dark places. Just imagine the light, the salt and the light that would come into these workforces if we came in committed to the lordship of Jesus. Friends, I just believe that when we as a people embrace the design of God, flourishing happens, both for us and for those around us. Will we commit as a people to allow the lordship of Jesus to show up in every part of our lives, believing that our relationship with him affects every other relationship, that his authority speaks to every other authority that we have been given in our lives. If we do, God promises us he will use us in that expression to advance his kingdom. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time in thinking about how you can respond to the preached word. Do you know Christ? If not, come. We want to walk with you through giving your life to him. If you do, are you allowing your relationship with him to show up in every other relationship, in your home, in the course of your life? Are you doing everything you do for his glory, everything you do for the name of Jesus? Husbands, how you doing loving your wives? Wives, how you doing loving your husbands? Parents, fathers, how you doing loving your kids? Employees, how you doing honoring your bosses? Employers, how are you doing in treating your employees? All of it matters because nothing is off limits from the Lordship of Christ. And where we have failed and where we will fail, let's entrust that to the grace and mercy of Jesus and strive to be more like him for his glory. Father, would you help us be the kind of people in our everyday lives that seek to honor you with everything that we do. God, may you be honored by how we live, not only with each other in this community as we gather, but also in our scattering. Every relationship would have a touch of the Lordship of Jesus. For your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads. 
Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.